you have your Bibles this morning, let's, uh, let's turn again to Job chapter 26. And uh, as you know, we have been, we have started talking about the relationship that we have with the Word of God as far as our own uh, personal walk with the Lord. In fact, we have been focusing on how to build a relationship with God. And uh, we've had so many young Christians that uh, uh, have been coming and trying to learn the Word of God that we just wanted to focus on Sunday for a while on really how to build that relationship. And for all of us, those of us who have been saved for a long time, it's always important to go back and refocus on on those great principles that we have to have because it's so easy to forget those. So that's what we've been doing. We've been talking about uh, the different aspects of the probably the most important doctrine in all the Bible, the judgment seat of Christ, a judgment where every believer is going to stand before God. We talked about how the Bible contains seven different judgments, and uh, yet three of those judgments are focused toward us. We talked about how that when we get saved, uh, that we are judged as a sinner, and that after we're saved, we're judged as a son, and then at the judgment seat of Christ, we are judged as a servant. So that's what we have been focusing on. Now, in Job chapter 26, and we've been here now a number of weeks, we have been talking on about some questions. And we have focused on the fact that there's questions in the Bible, and the Bible being the Word of God and the inspired Word of God uh, gives us questions that somebody has to answer. And uh, I've told you that when we come to Job chapter 26, what what I believe and what I'm afraid is going to happen, that we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, these are the questions that God are going to ask us. We're going to be asked some questions as pertaining to our service. And all of these questions, not only are they the only ones that can be asked to Christians, but they're the only ones that really have an aspect as far as service is concerned. So we have been looking at that. We talked about how hast thou helped him that is without power and talked about how that's a picture of an unsaved man. We talked about how savest the arm that hath no strength. We talked about how as Christians we take young Christians and try to develop them. They have power, but they have no strength. Then we talked about how hast thou counseled him that hath no wisdom. We talked about an unsaved man, or even a lot of God's people, don't have any wisdom about the principles of the Word of God. And then last week we talked about how hast thou plentifully declared the thing as it is. So we're in Job chapter 26. And uh, Job says here, But Job answered and said, How hast thou helped him that is without power? How savest thou the arm that hath no strength? How hast thou counseled him that hath no wisdom? And how hast thou plentifully declared the thing as it is? And then the last two we're going to look at is verse 4, To whom hast thou uttered words, and whose spirit came from thee? Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We love you. And we ask you now today to give us wisdom and insight into your word. Uh, may we take these things and apply them to our hearts and to our lives. And may we stand, Father, uh, fast in this dear old book that we know that uh, within it lies the principles of life that we need to learn how to live our lives, to walk with God. Teach us, Lord, these great doctrines that form the foundation in our lives, that are the building blocks on which we build as we build upon that foundation, gold, silver, and precious stone. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for a sake we ask it. Amen. Now, the Bible says, and where we want to focus today is, is to whom hast thou uttered words? Now, 
I had a guy tell me one time, I preached this message all over the country over the, a number of years, and I, I had all kinds of different reactions to it. And one guy came to me, and everybody, you know, people who don't like the concept of the judgment seat of Christ are not going to like this message. And, and I've had many, many people come to me and say, Bob, I think you're totally off the wall thinking those six questions are going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. I just think that you are absolutely... Uh, way over the line here that I don't believe that that's what it's all about. I don't believe that's what he's asking. I think he's just asking Job some questions, and I don't know that you can take that kind of liberty with the Bible. And I don't really believe that that's what that's talking about. My response to every one of those guys or gal, whatever the case may be, is simply this. I am with you. I sure hope you are right. This is one of these places where you get no argument from me. I hope you're right. I hope that we don't have to face these questions. I hope the judgment seat of Christ is as easy as you perceive it to be. I hope that when we get there, it's just going to be a matter of a pat in the back, a kick in the seat of the pants, and off you go. I hope it's that easy. But you know what? i got a sneaking suspicion. I don't think it's going to be that easy. And I don't think God put all those questions in the Bible just so he could say, i got a lot of questions in my book. I believe that God demands answers. I told you when we started this, the first question that God asked in the Bible was, where was Adam at when God knew where he's at? I believe the first question in the Bible is, the devil says, did God really mean what he says? Those two questions have been asked all down through history. And I believe that in the Bible, as I've already stated, I believe that there is a set of questions for everybody, no matter what your vocation is in life, when you stand before God as an unsaved man or a saved man, whatever you've decided to go, wherever you went in life, I believe that someday you're going to be judged. And when you're judged based on the Word of God and what God's plan was, I believe that some questions are going to come into play. And I've said it before, Job chapter 26, the only one I know that fits this criteria is a born-again child of God living in a day and age that we live in what we call the church age. And to me, this one about the words, to whom hast thou uttered words, I mean, it really gets scary. I mean, this is where I, I mean, I'll be confessed to you, this one bothers me. Uh, because if this thing is what it seems to be and everything that you read and see, I mean, did you ever go through your Bible? And I don't know what you do when you read through Bible. Maybe you don't read your Bible. But if you read your Bible and you're coming through it and just trying to read it and learn some things from it, there's things you need to pay attention to. That's how I, I got onto this question deal. I started reading through the Bible one day and I started saying, you know what, why does he ask that? Why is he asked that? And then I, I started looking in the Bible as I came through one time, and I started to notice the emphasis the Bible puts on the things that we are to talk about. I don't know if you ever did that or not. You know, when Paul wrote to Timothy in First and Second Timothy, he's giving him some great advice from a pastor, an older man, to a young man who's trying to get into the ministry or trying to do what God wants him to do. And he talks to him greatly in that book about words that he is to say in words that he speaks. He tells him that there are some words that are of no profit, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't even use them in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, down around verse 3, he, he warns him about, about uh, talking and not uh, are using words that are not wholesome words and not having wholesome language in what he says. He admonishes him in chapter 1, verse 3 in 2 Timothy, 13 in 2 Timothy, to hold fast the sound words. And when I come through the Bible, you know, like in Ephesians 5, where it talks about the church, it talks about the fact that we're not to be foolish jesting and, and uh, you know, foolish talk and all that. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't have fun. 
And that doesn't mean you can't laugh and, you know, like we do and when we get together. You know, people get the idea when the Bible uh, talks like this and starts saying this, you know, that you just got to be so straight-laced that you can't even smile. That's why a lot of God's people, you know, don't want to go to church because there's a lot of people there that never do smile. And they're not happy. And they think that the Christianity is a, a straight confinement like a straitjacket that you can't laugh, you can't tell a joke, you can't have a good time, you can't laugh with people, you can't laugh with yourself, you can't laugh with somebody else, you can't just have fun like we do. And of course, that's not what it's talking about here. No, the Bible has a very clear doctrine in it about the fact that as believers, we need to understand what we talk about and understand the importance of what we talk about. It doesn't mean that you can't laugh or have a good time. I'll tell you something else. And I saw this. It, it does bother me. This whole thing bothers me. I mean, if he'd have just had five, I could have got away with it and I'd have felt better, but this one kills you. I mean, this thing about words. Understanding, if you get a little bit of insight into things and study a little stuff... The concept of, I mean, do you ever notice that the places in the Bible where God judges a man out of his own mouth? Boy, that's a, that's a wild thing. There are places in the Bible where God clearly shows us that God goes to the man and has a confrontation with the man or talks to the man, and because the man hasn't done what's right, God asks the guy, and the guy gives him a sham answer, and then God judges him out of that. I think of David. Nathan went into David and told him a story about a man that had, had taken some guy's little sheep, and he was talking about Uriah and Bathsheba. And he's talking this story how that this man, this man had all kinds of sheep, and he took one little sheep from this little guy over here, and, uh, and David was enraged. And Dave said, I don't know who this guy is, but he says, you know what? That man is going to pay back four sheep for that one. You know what God, you know what Nathan said? He said, Thou art the man. You know how God judged David out of that? David says, fourfold, fourfold, fourfold. God says, all right, I'm going to judge you out of your own mouth. All four of David's boys got killed in the next three or four years. God judged him out of his mouth. One time a guy came to Christ and the Bible says uh, there, was a, there was a man that, had, uh, uh, that he had five talents and he, he, he didn't do anything with them. And when the Lord came, he says, Lord, he said, I knew you were a hard man and a steward man and, and, I just, and I just hid these things. He says, I, I didn't do anything with them. And God turns his words right around and judges him by his own words. Time after time when you start reading the Bible and you start seeing the situations in the Bible, out of their own mouth, God judges people. And I'm telling you something. We underestimate the power of words. Proverbs chapter 6 verse 2 talks about somebody that is snared and taken by their own words or their mouth. In Proverbs chapter 6 verse 16, there are six things listed that God hates. I always talk about learning how to love the things that God loves and how to hate the things that God hates. If you want to find out what God hates, and the Bible says that the seven is an abomination, there's six things that God hates. Three of them, three of them out of the six, three of them have to do with something that you say. The first one he hates is a lying tongue. The second one he hates is a false witness. Somebody that sets somebody up, lies about somebody for their own personal gain. And the third one he hates is sowing discord among the brethren. 
trying to destroy a work of God by something that you say that is derogatory uh, because you have a hidden agenda that you want to hurt the work of God, whether it be your preacher, whether it be somebody else in your church, whatever the case. Those three things are three of the six, and all three of those have to do with you speaking. You have to use words to lie. You have to use words to give a false witness, and you have to use words to sow discord. Words are powerful. That's why when the president makes a speech, he just doesn't get up and say off the cuff what he wants to say. Have you ever noticed that? You know, he has probably four or five professional speech writers that write for him. You know why? Because the news media is critiquing everything he says. And he has to be politically correct. He has to say things that doesn't offend people. I mean, the one guy that was, I'll give you a case in point, the one guy that was, uh, that was running for president and th- talked about down south, and he said, I, you know, I want to I reach out to all the people to drive pickup trucks and have Confederate flags in the back window. Well, no, that's just a, is that a big deal statement to anybody in here? I don't think it's a big deal statement. You go down south, that's what you see. But you know what? The news media got a hold of that. Somebody should have checked his deal. News media got a hold of that, selling this guy's a racist. He supports the Confederate Army who, who, you know, enslaved all the black people, you know, and wanted to keep slavery. And there he's a racist, you know, and making racist statements. And the whole thing by the news media gets blood out of proportion. So they have to be very careful. You know why? Words are powerful. You realize you can make or break somebody's day by simply saying something? I mean, you have the power with words. And that's why the Bible says, as Christians, we're to edify each other. It doesn't do me any good to point out all the things that are bad or that's wrong with people. It doesn't do me any... What helps is to edify. What Christianity is, is being able to take and, and encourage each other. Use the words for encouragement, not for destruction. But you see, uh, people get so caught up because words are powerful. Words will make or break presidents. Words will make or break nations. I mean, that's why the politics is so crucial in all the things that we do, that you want to send the right message. And you hear it all the time, you know. We want to send the right message in what we say. When a president gets up or some of these guys get up that want to be president and they talk about uh, in the media and they talk about the people and they always ask them, what is your foreign policy? What is your domestic policy? And you've got to be very careful because they're going to pick apart everything that you say because words will give the impression of one thing or the other. Oh, and I'll tell you something, man. When the Lord comes down here and he asks the question, to whom hast thou uttered words? I mean, do you ever stop and think about how many words that we use in a day? I, I saw a recent study, and I, I read a lot of, you know, psychological stuff, you know, because I have some psychological problems. But I, 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 read a lot of, I read a lot of studies, and a recent study said that a woman uses 5,000 words a day. A woman in her daily going about, uses 5,000 words a day. A man uses 7,000 words a day. Where a woman, to her daily talk, you know, and, and talking on the phone, she'll use 5,000 words. You know, a man, he'll use 7,000 words. Then the study went on to say that a man uses 7,000 words a day, but he uses 6,980 of them before he gets home. That's why we don't talk when we come home from work. We've used all of our words. We only have a few left. And we've got to use them for go team or 
you know, something like that. So you got to understand these things. Words are powerful. Words are powerful. And I'm going to tell you something. I, I like, uh, I don't know if you ever saw this movie or not. I'm, I like science fiction movies. I don't believe them, but I like the special effects. And, and sometimes they have some really good stuff that, that is in the Bible, but just misapplied. And my, one of my favorite scientific movies is, is the movie Contact with Jodie Foster. I think that is a, an incredible movie. Carl Sagan, you know, it was dedicated to him, you know, and he was, he, he's an unsaved, you know, man and all that stuff, but, uh, but he was fascinating to listen to some of the stuff that he talked about. He, you know, if these guys would ever just sit down and let somebody talk to them about a Bible and show them how close they are, but how far off they are, I mean, it's incredible. But the thing about this thing I, movie I like the most, I didn't care about when they found the life or, you know, she dropped through the deal, you know, or she's out there and sees her father. I'm not caring about that. The beginning of the movie is incredible. The beginning of the movie starts like this. It shows down on earth. And you're hearing different radio broadcasts. And then it starts to pan back from the earth. And it starts to pan back from the earth. And then you see it goes past the moon. And you can still hear. It's a combination of music, people talking, sports talk, football games, rock and roll. And it, and, and it keeps panning back. And now the earth and you pass the moon. Then you go past Mars. Then you go past Jupiter. Then you go past Saturn. And the earth's getting smaller. And it's like you're backing out. And you can still hear all the people talking and all the different things that are going on. And then you, you, know, you hear a president give it a speech. And it keeps backing off. Pretty soon you're past the last planet. And then you go through that. I don't know if you know it or not, but it went through the Oort field. And I write that down. O-R-T. Oort field. And it, before it gets to the it's the asteroid belt, and you see all the little asteroids come through, and you can still hear the talking, and finally it keeps going far, and you can't even see the Earth now. You can't see the planets, and now you're moving at a faster rate, and all of a sudden you start to see more nebulosity, gas around. Now you get farther back, it begins to see our Milky Way, which is our galaxy, begin to form, and it keeps coming back and coming back, and you can still hear it, yet it's a little more garbled now, and it's a little more not as defined, but you can still hear it, the different pieces, and it keeps moving back, and suddenly our whole galaxy comes into view, and it keeps moving back, and suddenly you see another galaxy up here, another galaxy back here, another galaxy down here, and it gets farther back. Pretty soon there's 20 galaxies, and you can still hear the muffled sounds of, of the radio broadcast, and it keeps going back and back and back and back and back and back. I think that is most, one of the most incredible pieces of science fiction technology I have ever seen or ever heard. You know why? Because Einstein taught, and this is true, Einstein taught that Sound never stops. He taught that when you say something, that it goes out into space, and it keeps moving, and it never stops. Theoretically, he said, that if we got into a rocket ship and went fast enough and far enough, we could catch up with Lincoln's Gettysburg Address and hear exactly what he said. Now, the reason why this is true is because this is why down in Virginia, they have these big belts of radio telescopes with dishes on them the size of, you know, uh, and they're all linked together, and all those guys do is send out a radio signal. In fact, that's what the movie Contact was all about. It, you know, she's sitting down there sending out this little signal, you know, take me to your leader, you know, have you had any pizza? Try the, you know, and it, it's sending those things out, and they, they go out there, and they're waiting, listening there, you know, because they, we know we, we've sent our first radio waves out in the early 20s, at the end of the 20s, early 30s, you know, and uh, they're listening for somebody to pick up on the other end, to pick up the signal, and then send a message back. And that's what it's all about. Because 
Einstein was correct in this one thing. When you say something or you project sound, it goes and never stops, and it is moving out into outer space. And it never stops. It goes and goes and goes. Now, I don't believe that there's any aliens out there that's going to find this. I mean, that's where it's off the track. I mean, I don't, you know, I, but, and, you know, they, 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 they get all kinds of weird ideas, you know, and they, they send these radio signals out and, and then they look for somebody to come back. And in the movie, you know, it, it was kind of a joke because the movie came back when, whenever this alien life found the, the radio thing, it was Adolf Hitler who was one of the first TV personalities, you know, because that's where TV started when he did the 1933 Olympics. And, uh, you know, he went to the Star of Vega, which was so many light years away, and it just got time to get there and come back. So when they answered, they answered with a radio broadcast, and here we are, our first emissary to the alien races out there is Adolf Hitler. Well, what a great match that is. So, it, 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 but the concept is true. And the concept is that once you speak something, it just keeps going. Now, I'm telling you something. I'm not worried about the aliens finding it. But what if at the judgment seat of Christ, what if at the judgment seat of Christ, when we stand there before God, that that thing is all connected with God's program and God's plan, and what if at the judgment seat of Christ, when you stand up there and you get ready to open your mouth of what you said and what you did to defend yourself, that about that time, every word you ever spoke in your life comes right across that thing and for sake of putting into our own concept, what if there's a category for the Chiefs football, you're hunting and fishing experiences, you're doing this and you're doing that, and what you've talked about the Lord? What if everything we've said in all of our lives fills up those categories? I'm telling you, the power of words. I mean, I'm telling you, once you say something, it never stops, and it keeps on going, I'm, and, and that's the way that it is. And God, there's too many things in the Bible where the Bible says God judges us out of our own mouth. I mean, we may, you know how we are, when we do something wrong, we always have our own excuse. And we always balance that thing from our perspective. You may be right, you may be wrong, but the bottom line is, you're always going to give yourself the benefit of the doubt. Well, you think it's going to be any different than the jump seat of Christ? So God has to have something that just lays it bare out. What better is than what you said? I mean, what better is and what, what better proof evidence is there in something that you have said right there? And there's no question about it. It is all lined up. It's like when you go in the IRS and you kind of think, well, you know what, I'm in my mind I had this thing all worked out. And he puts the figures down and shows you you're about $5,000 short in what you owe him. How do you argue with that? The figures are there. How do you argue about it? The words that you spoke are there. And I'm telling you, I, I, I like to have fun like anybody else, and I have no, no problem uh, at all. I mean, absolutely no problem at all. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you that at the end of the day, I, I make sure that whatever I do, I talk more about the things of God than I do anything else in my life. I mean, I like to do a lot of things, and I like to talk to people, but the bottom line is, let me tell you something, there ain't nothing worse, there ain't nothing worth talking about more than God in this life. You know, Thursday night, you know, we've been studying the book of Ecclesiastes. And, boy, last week we kind of got into, the, uh, you know, the philosophies. And, man, I'll tell you what, you know, we'll probably finish them up this next Thursday. But what a great thing that has been. But one of the things that I gave you, and I, I will harp on this the rest of your life, and that is that aspect about facts, knowledge, and understanding. And I told you that facts are just the amassing of facts. The wisdom is facts applied. But understanding is understanding how God fits into the scheme. You'll find unsaved people and you'll have, find God's people that have facts and they have understanding, or they have wisdom, but they don't have understanding. 
They understand a lot of things about this, and they understand a lot of things about uh, that. That's wisdom. But they don't understand how God fits into the scheme of things, how God overall looks at it, and how it fits into the Word of God and the plan of God. And I'm telling you, I find people all the time that do not understand the concept of words and how God and, and, and where God is at and what God is thinking. And I, and I see it in everything. I see it, I mean, listen to what people say. Listen to how they talk. Watch what they do. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Now, I believe, I, I mean, I'll give you an example. And I see it every time I watch a football game. Uh, and it's a thing where, you know what, the guy will go out there and he'll make a spectacular play. He'll make a, he'll make a, uh, uh, you know, he'll make a, he'll make a touchdown or he'll do something. And you know what, and, 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 I, and I'm all, and I'm not fighting anybody, but you know what, they'll, they'll get on their knees and they'll, they'll thank God for the touchdown. Or they'll point toward heaven. Or if you interview them afterwards, and somebody say, well, and the newscasters cut them off right now. As long as you give credit to the coach and all this stuff, you're fine. The moment you say, well, I want to thank the Lord Jesus Christ, my own personal Savior, you know, you're after the thing, man. Get somebody else on. Get the beer commercials on or something like that. But then they'll stand in and say, well, I want to thank the Lord Jesus Christ for saving me and giving me the ability to make that touchdown. Hey, I'm, I'm thankful that you're saved. I really am. I really am. I really am. But let me just ask you a question. Do you really think God cares who wins a football game? If you, don't answer that. If you do, if you do, if you think that God is up there saying to Gabriel, did you get the scores this week? We want to see what's going on. Okay, you don't think God's looking over there and saying, well, you know what? Tell you what, uh, they need a little help. Put a little wind to this guy's back, block that field goal. Or give this guy just a little bit more ability that he can go out there and tackle. You think God does that? You think God gives a flip? Don't answer that. If you do, I mean, you really think that God's concerned about the fact that there's two football players down here, one going to the Super Bowl, and God with... with do you really think he cares who goes to the Super Bowl? Do you really think? Don't answer that. Do you really think he is concerned about who wins the World Series? Please, don't even nod your head. I don't want you to incriminate yourself. Because if you do, and when a guy stands down there and says, well, I want to thank the Lord Jesus Christ for saving my soul, I'm all for that. You know what that man's got? That man has knowledge. He knows about God. And that man has wisdom. He knows how God saved him. But when he makes his next statement and says, and I want to thank God for giving me the ability to win this ball game and make this touchdown, he doesn't have any understanding. Because I promise you, at the judgment seat of Christ, it ain't going to be, how many touchdowns did you make? Did you win the Super Bowl? And if you think that God is even remotely concerned, I told you the first Thursday night how it all works. I mean, I'll sit down with you any time and walk you through history. We look at history and we think that, oh, God is interested in this and God is interested in that, da-da-da-da-da-da, you know. And, and God, God is only concerned in one thing in history, only one thing. God is concerned about one thing. And go back to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Book of Ezekiel, and you'll find a hundred verses telling you that God doesn't give a flip about the Gentile nations. He, they are a drop in the bucket to him. He could care less about America. He could, other than when it relates to the Word of God, he could care less about, you know what, we look at, I, and I told you this, we look at World War I and World War II, you know, and we think, wow, 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 look at this, man. And you know what, I've studied, I, I like history, so I study the wars, you know, and I like military history. And here's World War I, you know, World War I down here, you know, we fought the Axis, and in World War II, you know, we fought them again, you know, and, 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 and all these things, and you learn all the, you know, all the, you know, 
Kaiser Wilhelm, and you know, you know, the Red Baron, and you know, John, John Pershing, and you know, uh, World War II, you know, MacArthur and Patton, and all the generals, and all the battles, and all the wars, and you can open up a map and say, yeah, back in the Battle of Amar, and they fought this way, and over here, that, and this did this, and it did that. You have facts, and you have wisdom, but you know what? You don't have any understanding unless you see God, and then I told you that night, World War I got the land ready for the Jew, World War II got the Jew ready for the land, and in 1948, they became a nation. And you know what? God killed 275 million people without even blinking an eye to accomplish that. Everybody says, oh, you know, the concentration camps with the Jews are terrible, you know, and all that Adolf Hitler did. Let me tell you something. God, every time that Jew reads the last book in his Bible, he's told to go back. Second Chronicles chapter 36. He wouldn't go back. He went into Europe, and when nobody had any money in Europe, and there was a, there was a depression in Europe, and it took 20 billion Reichsmarks to buy a loaf of bread, and the Germans were starving to death, and everybody was out of work, the Jew had enough to buy up land, bind up shops, while they were even putting gold, they had gold to put in their teeth. Say, how do you know that? Because when Adolf Hitler killed millions of them, he made billions and billions of dollars pulling gold out of dead people's teeth. They had money for gold in their teeth when the Europeans have money for bread. You know why? Because God said to that Jew, you'll be the bush that will be burned but not be consumed. God built in them the ability to stay alive and the ability, but God said, go back. Go back. Go back. Jew says, I'm not going back. God says, we'll see about that. But the time... Himmler and the rest of them were done with them. They went back. And you know what? History was made in 1948 when Israel became a nation. For 3,000 years, they had not been a nation. The odds against them becoming a nation were so astronomically out. It was, it was, they were a miracle of God. And God says, you know what? They're going to become a nation again. And in a process of, we look at this and we say, God, God, you know, bless America and all this, you know, and God's going to take care of this and God's going to take care of that and God's on our side. You know, America, in World War II, America thought God was on their side. The Germans thought he was on their side. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, every German, every German belt buckle that any Wehrmacht guy ever went had a little motto on it that said, God is with us? Why, they thought God was with them. We thought God was with us. Turns out we were both wrong. God was with the Jew. Oh, you've got to go back to that Old Testament and find out that God uses Gentile nations to accomplish His purpose, and His purpose is Israel. A lot of people have facts. A lot of people have wisdom. They don't have understanding. Understanding will always be the key ingredient. What is God doing in the middle of this war, in the middle of this history, in the middle of this country, in the middle of this revolution? What is God doing? That's understanding. And when you understand that, you realize that, that, that history revolves around this book. And when you understand that, you realize there isn't anything that you say. The Bible says that every man will give every account for every word he says. I have no problem in having fun. I don't. But I'm telling you, at the end of the day, you better find out what God is really interested in and start talking about... I, at the same time, I didn't say didn't watch the game today. I didn't say didn't cheer. I didn't say go over to your, did not go over to your friend's house and have fun, have a cookout, have a barbecue. I didn't say go to the game and sit, tailgate and have fun. I didn't say you can do all of that stuff. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying get understanding in what you do. Don't get caught up in it. Don't think that God really cares if the Chiefs win today. I care. I'm glad, I'm glad Kansas won last night. 
I don't really care about college football, but you know what? Everybody was just saying, everybody was just saying, ah, they're going to get blown up by Oklahoma, they're going to get wiped out, da 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 When somebody starts talking like that, I just like to see them get beat. I'm always for the little guy. Some big bully starts picking on some little guy. He may beat me up too, but you know what? We'll go down swinging together. I don't like bullies. I don't like people to pick on little people. I'm a little guy. I was taller before I got sick, but that happened a long time ago, and now I'm where I'm at. I'm a little guy. I don't like being picked on. I don't like anybody else picking on anybody else. I think the, I think the, I think that, I think when somebody is vulnerable and somebody's hurting and, so, and for somebody to work them over, I think just think it stinks. So I'm all, I don't really, but that's me, you see. That's me. I sat there last night and I was thinking, man, go, you know, and, and they were already at 35 to 7, and I, they were down at the 10 yard line, and I was saying, get one more. Go get, get one more touchdown. Rub their nose in the poo poo boy and let them know that they have been to Kansas. <laughs> Home of Dorothy and Toto. Let them know, man, that the Wizard of Oz is still alive and you're in trouble. But you know what? I don't know anything about KU. I mean, it was K-State. I don't know who, I don't know which one it was. I don't know anything about Oklahoma. I just know it's south someplace and there's Indian down there. I don't really care. I just didn't want to see the little guy that everybody was saying, ah, we're going to whip you. I wanted to see the little guy whip the big guy. I've been that way ever since I read the story of David and Goliath. Oh, yeah, there's a big old boy going to come down there and beat up Israel, and God picks a little scrawny guy out of there, boy, and goes out that brook and picks up five stones and goes out. You ever wonder why he picked up five stones for one man? Somebody said one time, well, it's because David was, had, had a lack of faith in God. He might, might miss. No, 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 no. Read your Bible. Because Goliath had four brothers. David just felt he wanted to make this a family affair. We go four for four, five for five. I like that, man. I like that. I'm going to tell you something. I learned a long time ago. It isn't the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. I'm telling you. I don't care who won. That's me. I wanted him to win. You think God was up there last night biting his fingernails off, wanting, wanting Candace to win? You think God is waiting with anxious anticipation for the Chiefs game in Denver today? You think he's even interested? You think he's even going to tune it in? You see, you got to have understanding. Therefore, when you have understanding, you enjoy those things, but they don't dominate my life. There's some people that all they can talk is about sports all day long. I'm just, I'm, I, all I can do is talk about the Bible all day long. Somebody says to me, well, I, you know, I, I sure hate to ask you all these questions about the Bible. You know, I know you, you're like, hey, I really do that else in the world. Talk to people uh, when they need to see me all day long with the Bible. We come here and have Bible study. Uh, I have a Bible study on Thursday, three hours in the afternoon. Come here and do one, two hours at night with you, and then go home and do another one, two and a half hours before I go to bed. I'm done at 2 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning sometimes. You know what? I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I, do, I don't just love it because I love the Bible. I love it too because, boy, I know someday I believe in my own heart. I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. I believe that someday, boy, those things are going to be zealing through there, boy, and those things are going to come up, and those things are going to get filled up, and how much you talked about the chiefs, how much uh, about fishing, how much you talked about this, how much about that, all be compared to how much you talked about the Lord. Because you know what? As a Christian, that's where we're supposed to be. I'll tell you something else. I I mean, I I know I'm kind of weird when it comes to the Bible, but uh, I just believe it. I take this thing serious. 
I mean, we always think, you know, hey, you know, we all, we all wear all the same, you know. I mean, I'll tell you what, I, I, I believe, I, I, I believe the Bible says in Isaiah 55, when the Lord comes back, the Bible says the trees are going to clap their hands and sing. Somebody says, well, I don't believe that. I do. They don't even have hands. They got limbs. Don't you? You just never heard one sing. They ain't got nothing to sing about yet. But don't you know Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 3 says that the creation is bearing the curse just like we are. And boy, let me tell you something. When this old earth gets liberated, man, it's going to be a wild time. A lot of things going to happen. Let me ask you a question. Numbers chapter 22, verse 30, the Bible says that Balaam was riding on an ass going someplace to hurt the nation of Israel. And God opened that ass's mouth and that ass spoke. You believe that? Don't answer me. You believe that? You believe that? You believe that he's down there doing that old ass said, Hey, what are you hitting me for? I'm trying to help you out. You believe that? I believe that. I believe it's in, I believe it's true. I believe it's absolutely true. And I'll tell you something else. We think we're going to get away with stuff. We think that we can hide all kinds of stuff. You know what Joshua chapter 24 says? Boy, this is scary. Verse 26, 27. They're out there talking back and forth. And the nation of Israel says, we're going to do this. And we're going to do this. And we're going to do that. And Joshua says, okay, no problem. God will take you at your word. And God will hold you accountable. You know why? Because the rocks, the rocks, the rocks right here just heard what you said. And someday they will be a witness against you. Now, what are you going to do with that? I know what I'd like to do with it. I'd like to move on and talk about the lovings of God. Somebody says, that's stupid. I, would, I don't believe that. I don't, want, I don't even buy that. Hey, I'm with you. But I want to tell you this also. In 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 2, God said one time, He said, you know what? There's windows in heaven, and I'm going to open up those windows, and I'm going to bring something down. And a man laughed. And God judged him out of his own mouth and killed him because there was windows in heaven. Genesis chapter 8 verse 2 says there is. There's also a door, John chapter 10, which somebody opens and goes up and goes through. Well, we don't have time to get into that today. Words. Now, I never say a lot about money and giving. I never do. Because I tell you when we give the offering, you know what your responsibility is. You want to not do it. That's fine. But let me just take it one step further. I really hate this one. You ever see money? Now, money is a necessity. But you ever realize that I don't care where you go in history, I don't care what culture, I don't care what country, you realize that every piece of money you ever saw in your world had a person's face or a person's head on it? If God, could make the, if God could make the trees clap their hands and sing, if God could make Balaam's ass talk, if God could make their, use the rocks that heard what somebody said be a witness, if God could do all of that, and if God, if it is true that once you say something, it goes on forever and ever, what is to say at the judgment seat of Christ, man, every dime, every nickel, every dollar, everything you ever had in your life comes rolling down at your feet? And, the, and, and What if it finds out at the judgment seat of Christ for the work of God and the ministry of God, you spent more money on dog food than you did the work of God? What if that thing rolls down to your feet and every piece of mouth on every piece of, on every piece of dollar bill opens its mouth and says what it was spent for? It's no wonder the Bible says the judgment seat of Christ is the terror of the Lord. It isn't the terror of the Lord in the sense you're going to have to worry about dying and going to hell. 
But it is a terror of the Lord in the fact that that thing's going to be a day that's going to reveal, reveal what man has done with God since he's been saved. And it isn't going to be a matter you're going to, right now you can lie about it. Right now you can make it up. Right now you can tell me or your friend or your wife or your husband any story you want. But there's coming a day where you're not going to have to say a thing. Every word you ever said is going to show right Every dime you ever had is going to roll down at your feet. Every rock you ever was around whenever you did whatever you wanted to do is going to scream out and tell the witness if it didn't take care of before the blood of Christ. See, that's why the Bible says if, we're, if we have sin in our lives, we confess it and get it right. Get it out of the way. Because you're not, if you don't, it's going to show up someplace else with your service. Somebody said, well, I don't know. Hey, God, I'm going to tell you right now. God can do whatever he wants to do. I mean, you want something really hard that God did? Joshua chapter 10. Joshua's fighting a battle. Joshua's fighting a battle, and the sun was going down. Joshua says to the Lord, we need to finish this battle for the nighttime. The Lord says, no problem. You know what the Lord did? He stopped the earth rotation. He stopped the earth rotation for 23 hours and 20 minutes. The earth stopped rotating. Just stop rotating. You say, I don't believe that. Well, you need to go to talk to Professor Totten at Yale in 1895. You know what he found out? He found out when he mathematically began to calculate everything back the way they can do it. You know what he found out? He found out that in our time, in our history, there's 24 hours missing that nobody can account for. Now, that's not from some crazy me. That's from a professor at Yale, Professor Totten, in 1889, 69, something like that, mathematically figured up the time elements going back through history and said, you know what, boys, from what we've got, what we figure here, from the chronologies we have, we are 24 hours missing. You know where those 24 hours are? Well, 23 hours and 20 minutes is right here in 2 Kings. Then you go over there in, or over in Jeremiah 10, you go over in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 9, then uh, the old guy down here says, well, Lord, I, I, I believe what you're saying, but I need proof. I need proof. And God says, proof. How about if I make the sundial go forward? He said, no. He said, nothing. It's going to go forward. He said, it would be a real deal if we can make it go back. God said, no problem. And the sundial went back 40 minutes. 10 degrees. 40, on the sundial, 40 minutes. 40 minutes. 23 hours and 20 minutes in Joshua chapter 10. 40 minutes in 2 Kings chapter 20. There's your 24 missing hours. You see, God does whatever he wants to do. God does what he wants to do. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, questions in the Bible are there for a reason. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, somebody is going to answer those questions. And I'm telling you, there is a reason, there is a reason why God says, to whom hast thou uttered words? There's going to be an accountability. I'm not saying you have to be a monk and only talk about the things of God. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying in your life, you need to have understanding. A lot of God's people have knowledge, they have wisdom, but they don't understand where God figures into the scheme. They don't know where they're at to the coming of Christ. They don't understand the urgency of the hour to do what needs to be done. They don't understand that God is doing. And the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And that day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel in Romans chapter 2. Hey, six questions. Six questions. How hast thou helped him that is without power? How savest thou the arm that hath no strength? How hast thou counseled him that hath no wisdom? How hast thou plentifully declared the thing as it is? And to whom hast thou uttered words? I'm just telling you. 
My job is to forewarn you, and forewarning you is forearming you. I'm telling you. I'm giving you the cheat sheet. I'm giving you the questions or the test before you have to take it. And I'm telling you. I'm telling you. If somebody's out there and says, well, I don't buy that, Bob, I don't believe it, you know what? I absolutely, wholeheartedly will take you out to lunch. I am with you. I will pal out with you hoping you're right. But I don't think you are. Because God wouldn't put his son what he went through and God wouldn't allow him to endure what he endured and just let you and I skate through the judgment seat of Christ with a ho-hum attitude. I don't believe that. And when I look back and I see all the things that God does and I see all the things that God accomplishes and I see man today misplacing God and thinking God cares about the football games and the baseball games and God cares about the weather and God cares about my golf game and God give me a good batting average this year that I may win millions of dollars, you know, so I can give you five of it, you know, five dollars of it. And all this stuff that God doesn't care. God is concerned with His plan and His plan is very clear and the bottom line is the questions He asks are all concerning that plan. My job? to teach you that plan. My job is to prepare you for that plan. My job is to help you get you to the point in your life where you understand where you're at in your relationship with God. I just don't want to give you a lot of facts. I don't want to help develop those facts into wisdom. I want you to walk through life understanding where God is at in everything that you do. And right now, as we're speaking, as we're ending our morning, you need to understand where God is at in these six questions pertaining to the judgment seat of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for all you do. We love you. And we thank you, Father, for the time we've had in your word today. Bless us, Lord. Give us wisdom and insight into all that you do for us. Help us, Lord, to see and understand this great book, its magnitude, its unbelievable power. And, Lord, help us to realize that, Lord, there isn't a question in that Bible that God isn't going to require somebody to answer. Help us be faithful, Lord. In the job. Help us to realize why God saved us. Help us to realize what God wants us to do with our life. Help us to work together as a team, to throw off all the things of the world, to be bounded together in the Word of God and in the love of Christ, to do those things that God would have us to do. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For his sake we ask it. Amen.